well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. This episode brought to you by Direct Bullion USA, the new gold standard for gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swamp of Washington, D.C. take your guns, so why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbullionusa.com today and start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide. Secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbullionusa.com. Speaking of the swamp, taking away your guns, we are going to be talking about the uh, push for a ban on so-called assault weapons in the Senate. Now, you remember the House earlier this year passed its gun ban bill, 217 to 213. That was the final vote, the bill over on the uh, Senate side now. And the votes, according even to supporters like Chris Murphy, just aren't there for a uh, gun ban. But that is not stopping gun control activists from lobbying for uh, a last-minute vote on the uh, House gun ban bill. As the uh, San Antonio News Express reports, House Resolution 1808, which would make it a crime to import, sell, manufacture, transfer, or possess, with some exceptions, a semi-automatic, quote-unquote, assault weapon, will die if the Senate takes no actions before it adjourns. Kenny Brantner, the founder of March 4th, Gun Control Group founded after the uh, shooting at Highland Park, Illinois' Independence Day Parade, says there's nothing in their way There's nothing stopping them from literally removing weapons of war from our streets. We don't have military tanks in our driveways. We certainly don't need assault weapons in our homes and in our streets. Brandon went on to say this is not hard. Surviving a mass shooting, being impacted by a mass shooting, that is hard. Well, that is hard. And obviously, as somebody who's been uh, impacted by... The loss of a loved one, not through violent crime, but uh, the loss, no less. I I sympathize with Kitty Brander and, frankly, everybody who lost a loved one. Uh, Whether it's in uh, the attack in Highland Park or uh, Uvalde, some of the parents from Uvalde are going to be traveling to uh, D.C. along with uh, other members of uh, March 4th to lobby for this gun ban. But as much as I might sympathize and empathize with their grief and the pain of losing a loved one, Banning the most commonly sold rifle in the country today isn't going to save anybody's life, and it is very well going to infringe on the rights of tens of millions of legal gun owners. Brantner uh, went on to say, quote, the Senate within this term uh, has within this term to pass this bill. They have by the end of December to pass that bill or everything starts over. All of our work disintegrates and we start over next year. And even Brandner, I think, would acknowledge that starting next year, it's going to be tougher to pass a gun ban bill through Congress because Republicans are going to be in control of the House, and it's not likely that they will bring up a gun ban bill. So, yeah, this is their chance. This is their moment to get a gun ban bill through Congress. The problem, again, for the gun control activists is that the votes just aren't there. Now, I want to go back to the argument, though, that uh, Kitty Brandner made, right? There's there's nothing stopping Congress, he says, from uh, literally removing weapons of war from our streets. I- except that even if you think AR-15s are weapons of war, which they're not, by the way, but even if you even if you buy into that, what gun does this take 
off the streets. I, I, I mean, we've been told by Democrats from Joe Biden on down, nobody wants to take your guns, right? So if nobody wants to take our guns, and Kenny Brantner says uh, weapons of war that are in the hands of legal gun owners should be removed from our streets, that we don't need the tens of millions of lawfully possessed modern sporting rifles, quote, in our homes and on our streets. Is it just me or do those two things not mesh, right? If you don't want modern sporting rifles in our homes and on our streets, seems to me like you do want to take people's guns away from them. Even though the bill, as written, H.R. 1808, does contain a grandfather clause so that uh, existing owners of modern sporting rifles would not be required under this legislation, as is currently written anyway, uh, to dispose of them or hand them over to the government. This would be a ban on the uh, sale and possession going forward, uh, but supposedly doesn't do anything about the tens of millions of weapons of war, quote-unquote, again, that are in the hands of American citizens. So I think Branner's argument, frankly, it doesn't add up. And it certainly doesn't mesh or jibe with, again, what Democratic politicians are saying, right? We're going to take common sense, reasonable steps that uh, respect people's Second Amendment rights and still, right? No, they're not really worried about respecting anybody's Second Amendment rights. Because I don't think they respect anybody's Second Amendment rights. I, I, in fact, I'm pretty convinced that for a lot of these politicians and activists, they don't think the Second Amendment actually protects any individual right to keep their arms whatsoever. Which is why, again, they're trying to criminalize the possession of the most commonly sold rifle in the country today. Uh, Brander says this isn't hard, but it is. It's, it's an ask for these senators. In fact, it's clearly so hard to pass this gun ban bill that even supporters like Chris Murphy of Connecticut say the votes aren't there. And why aren't the votes there? Well, in some cases... I'd like to think, anyway, it's because politicians understand that uh, banning some of the most commonly owned firearms in the country today, not constitutional. Even if they feel kind of squeamish about somebody owning an AR-15, they would at least recognize, yeah, but these are in common use for a variety of lawful purposes. Therefore, it's outside of our purview to try to ban these things. I'd like to think that at least some members of Congress uh, hold that point of view. I'd like to think that some members of Congress say, uh, you know what? Blaming law-abiding gun owners for the actions of criminals trying to ban our way to safety uh, by banning a, a style of rifle that are, that's used in fewer homicides than fists or feet every year isn't the right way to do it, and we're treading all over people's constitutional rights in the meantime. I'd like to think that those folks are there, too. And there are probably even some politicians who, in their heart of hearts, are perfectly fine with banning AR-15s. But... They don't want to vote for the ban because they know it's going to be unpopular among their constituents. Within those three groups of people, you've got far more than 50 senators uh, who, for, again, a variety of reasons, are a no-go on a gun ban bill. And I think, by the way, that the reasons I laid out are all fairly valid. 
from a political perspective in some cases. It doesn't make any sense for a senator to do this, even though they might support a ban. Certainly from a constitutional perspective, a ban on commonly owned firearms that are used for a variety of lawful purposes, from self-defense to hunting to competitive shooting, uh, that is a constitutionally questionable move, to put it mildly. But don't underestimate the political considerations. You know, part of what uh, we are seeing play out here with the push for a gun ban, knowing that the votes aren't there in the Senate, is an effort to influence the court of public opinion and not just necessarily lawmakers on Capitol Hill, right? They're, again, putting forward this argument that if we just do this one simple thing, right, just take this, this one easy trick that can solve gun violence, and all we have to do is criminalize the possession of, you know, one of the most commonly owned uh, firearms in America today, make it a federal crime to uh, possess it or to transfer it or to uh, make it or to sell it, right? If we do that, then we are told that these terrible tragedies will stop. And it's a lie. It's a lie. We know that the type of individual intent on committing mass murder is not going to be dissuaded by a ban on semi-automatic rifles any more than they would be dissuaded by the sight of a sign that says no firearms allowed. These are individuals, whether it's through mental illness or through an evil in their heart, have set on a course to end as many innocent lives as possible. And a gun control law, like a gun-free zone, isn't going to touch that individual. Now, we've talked a lot before on this program about what can be done against uh, both violent crime in general and specifically uh, to try to identify and stop these mass shootings before they take place. Uh, our friend Ryan Petty, contributor here at Bearing Arms. He and I have talked extensively about behavioral threat analysis. But we've also seen not a failure to invoke red flag laws, but a failure of the criminal justice system in case after case after case, including the suspect in Highland Park, who could have been, should have been, charged with crimes and was not, apparently. Saw this in the case of the uh, suspect in Colorado Springs in the Q nightclub shooting. A suspect who apparently was originally charged with felony offenses. Offenses that were uh, eventually, well, we don't really know what happened because the case was sealed. So we actually don't even know that this individual, same name, same date of birth, same city, but we don't have 100% confirmation was the same individual involved in the nightclub shooting and this bomb threat that led to felony charges. But it sure looks like, again, the criminal justice system had a chance to deal with that individual and failed to do so. EVA shooting, same thing. Felony charges, reduced down to a misdemeanor, suspended sentence, slap on the wrist, go on your way. And somebody who could have been prohibited under federal law from purchasing a firearm was allowed to do so. Not because of a failure of the, uh, red flag laws or because weapons of war are allowed to be sold in the street. This guy used a handgun. No, he was allowed to buy a gun because the criminal justice system failed to do its duty. And a felony gets reduced down to a misdemeanor. Serious time behind bars gets turned into a suspended sentence. And somebody who 
should have faced consequences for pretty serious crime, in essence, was allowed to get away with it. Now, we could and should be focusing on, I wouldn't even say the cracks in our criminal justice system, the, the gaping holes in our criminal justice system. We can be looking at what's going on in our mental health system, as we've been doing at Bearing Arms over the past couple of weeks, pointing out the crisis in mental health in states like Colorado, in Illinois, and even Virginia, where I live, where people who are in acute need of inpatient mental health treatment are waiting for days, in some cases, for a bed to open up. They're stuck in an ER. With sheriff's deputies, by the way, standing guard over them. So those deputies aren't out patrolling the streets because they're now watching over this individual who's in the midst of a mental health crisis. Or they're tossing them in a jail cell while they're in the midst of a mental health crisis because there are no beds available for them. And then, of course, there are those folks in crisis who don't ever get picked up by law enforcement. They never get taken to a mental health evaluation only to be told, well, we don't have any beds available for you. They just slip through the cracks altogether. And rather, again, than address the um, crises in both of these systems, you've got uh, Democrats on Capitol Hill say, no, 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 the, the, the answer here, let's ban AR-15s. Uh, and the gun control activists will be out in force in Washington this week. It's unclear at this point, however, whether H.R. 1808 will even get a vote in the Senate. I'm sure that uh, Chuck Schumer would love to hold a vote. If only to put uh, Republicans on the record as, uh, you know, in favor of battlefield weapons of war flooding our streets. But I don't know that they're going to have time. It's entirely possible that they'll, you know, carve out an afternoon to have a debate and a vote on this bill. But um, Democrats do understand they're losing the slim majority that they have in Congress. So they are rushing to get stuff passed right now. They're looking to get things through the Senate that they can get to Joe Biden's desk, uh, and whether or not they will take the time for a vote that everybody knows is uh, likely to fail, uh, I think that's still very much an open question. Uh, if you're a gun owner, and presumably if you're listening right now, you are, and you're a Second Amendment supporter, uh, I would still encourage you, reach out to your senators. That's where the bill is. You don't need to worry about your House members right now. They've already cast their vote on H.R. 1808. But reach out to your senators, even if you know where they stand, even if you know that if a vote were held, they would vote in favor of this bill, reach out to them anyway. Explain your objections. Uh, and and uh, again, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily expect minds to change. But that doesn't mean that your voice shouldn't be heard. It absolutely should. And we need to speak out in defense of our fundamental civil rights. We need to speak out in favor of policies that will meaningfully address public safety, that will meaningfully address mental health, and that will not intrude or tread on our right to armed self-defense. It's that simple. And you know what? That is easy to do. You don't have to ban guns. You don't even have to pass new federal legislation, quite honestly. All you really need to do, put in place the policies and tactics that are most effective uh, when it comes to violent crime in general at identifying the relatively small number of individuals who are responsible for a disproportionate amount of violent crime 
And when it comes to addressing mass shootings specifically, that's a bit, I'll acknowledge, that's a bit tougher, right? Because you're in essence looking for a needle in the haystack, trying to identify somebody who has the potential and the plans to uh, carry out an attack like this before they do it. Uh, But again, behavioral threat analysis is, I think, one of the best ways to do so without infringing on anyone's rights. The problem is, again, we don't have a very good system of doing that. Uh, In the Oxford, Michigan schools, for instance, last week, uh, they just talked about how uh, the behavioral threat analysis program that was supposed to be in place wasn't. I mean, they had a plan. They had rules. They, they had a system that was supposed to work. But according to whistleblowers, former members of the uh, school board, while the system was in place in, on paper, it wasn't in place in practice. And when you had a 15-year-old who clearly uh, had some issues going on, the behavioral threat analysis team did not respond and did not react and did not do the things that they were supposed to do under that guidance. Again, we've got a lot of systems already in place that are supposedly designed to protect us. Rather than slapping a new law on the books at the expense of a fundamental civil right, why don't we work to actually ensure that those systems are functioning as we've been promised? That we have a functioning criminal justice system? That we have a functioning mental health system? That there are disciplinary processes in schools and there are threat assessments being done, like we've been told. It seems to me like each and every one of those things would both be more productive and more constitutional than the ban that activists are calling for in uh, Capitol Hill this, uh, this week. But, uh, you know, honestly, I think we're both going to be unhappy. I don't think the gun control advocates are going to get what they want. I don't think they're going to get their ban through the Senate. And I think those of us who would prefer to see uh, Congress uh, or state lawmakers address the fundamental failures of existing systems. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that either, unfortunately. Now, let's turn our attention uh, to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day uh, and our recidivist report. We will start there. The case out of Utah where a man accused of five armed robberies has now been sentenced to just a year behind bars and probation for his crime. Yeah, crime, because the most serious charges were dropped. So uh, 34-year-old David Converse Harris accepted a plea deal in which all of the uh, uh, charges except for one in five separate robbery cases were dropped against him. And uh, three of the cases, the deal also lowered the severity of the top charge by one level. So he ended up pleading guilty to uh, two counts of aggravated robbery, as well as three counts of robbery, uh, reduced from second-degree felony, one reduced to a third-degree felony. And then a uh, judge there in Utah suspended prison terms on all the charges, uh, as long as Harris successfully completes a year in jail and a probationary sentence. Uh, Harris charged with multiple robberies in Salt Lake County during March. Uh, after the uh, final incident on March 16th, police who were in the area saw Harris uh, leaving a store, uh, a True Value hardware store, and uh, successfully spiked the tires on his car. Uh, the gun that they recovered from that robbery was uh, described as a, quote, realistic BB gun that was constructed of metal and was a, a facsimile of a Glock handgun. Now, clearly, he intended his victims to believe that he was armed with a real handgun. 
And that's how he was charged. The judge gave Harris credit for the time that he's been in jail uh, between March and, I guess, uh, November 18th when he pleaded guilty. So Mr. Harris not really going to have to do much more time behind bars at all. In fact, with time off for good behavior, I mean, it's possible that David Converse Harris could be home for Christmas or the new year. And again, as long as he manages not, well, you know, I was going to say as long as he manages not to engage in the same type of behavior. But even then, as we've seen, you can be on probation and you can be caught with drugs. You can be caught with a gun while you're on probation as a felon on probation. And that doesn't always result in uh, your uh, suspended sentence being implemented and you being returned to prison. In fact, I would say rarely does that happen. So while I'd like to say that as long as David Harris stays on the straight and narrow, he won't have to serve any time behind bars. But frankly, I don't know that to be the case. David Harris could stray from the narrow path of the law-abiding citizen and still not face any consequences. Uh, Today's Armed Citizen story, Phoenix, Arizona, where uh, police say a suspect who was killed in a Phoenix neighborhood was shot in self-defense. This was uh, on Friday. Um, Investigators say the shooter was defending himself when he killed 45-year-old Jorge Rodriguez, and the uh, shooter was not arrested after police uh, spoke to him. Incident happened around 5.30 on December the 2nd after uh, Rodriguez reportedly began arguing with the uh, gun owner who was working in the area at the time. Um, the individual told police that Rodriguez took out a gun and pointed it at him, at which point the armed citizen then took out his own handgun and uh, shot Rodriguez. Uh, now, the case is still under investigation, though no arrests have been made and police are treating this as self-defense. They will present the results of their investigation to the Maricopa County Attorney's Office to determine if any charges will be filed. But again, as of right now, uh, police say they believe this was a self-defense shooting. We'll keep our eyes on this, give you any more updates as they become available. Uh, finally today, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, police in Kenner, Louisiana, who saved three people from a sludge pit. Yeah, in a uh, construction zone early Friday morning after their car was involved in an accident off of, I believe this was uh, I-10 in Louisiana. According to a release from the uh, Kenner PD, uh, Officer Clarence Carr responded to a 911 call from motorists who had been involved in a a single car accident on I-10 eastbound just after 1 o'clock Friday morning. The vehicle... Uh, had gone off the road and again had become stuck in a quote sludge pit in a construction zone. When Carr got there, he realized that the vehicle was still occupied, was also sinking into the sludge. So he waded in to the sludge, called for assistance, and he started pulling the folks out of the car. Uh, water was filling up the interior of the vehicle as cars pulling the occupants out to safety. He had to cut one responsive passenger out of the vehicle uh, because of the severity of the crash. Four additional Kenner PD officers uh, eventually arrive, along with a number of firefighters from the Kenner Fire Department, all of them uh, entering the sludge pit and assisting in getting the occupants to safety, uh, all of them taken to a local hospital. At last report, uh, they were stabilized. Looks like they're all going to recover. Kenner Police Chief Keith Conley uh, commending the officers and the firefighters on their actions. He says uh, likely life-saving actions uh, for those involved in the wreck. So uh, in the right place at the right time, 
willing and able to uh, wade into a sludge pit to uh, help save those inside. Officer Clarence Carr and his uh, compatriots with the Kenner PD and the uh, Kenner Fire Department, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do encourage you to check out the website today. We're updating it uh, all day long with the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about, including the latest out of Oregon, where the uh, Attorney General now says that uh, December 8th, the effective date for this new permit-to-purchase system, we've been told for weeks, oh, yeah, that's the date. It's going to be ready. Everything's going to be great. Yeah, all of a sudden, now she's decided uh, they're backing off. Well, we can have a two-month delay. We don't have to actually put the permit to purchase system in place on December 8th. No, no, no. We can can, 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 can wait till February while we get the system in place. Yeah. How about that? Meanwhile, a federal judge set to rule on whether or not to allow any or all portions of Measure 114 to go into effect this week. We've got the latest for you again at Bearing Arms. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Until then, be well, be safe, and most importantly, be free.